All right, welcome to uh, RUF at a strange location. Um, the joke really is that RUF stands for RU Flexible, and we're really glad that you, uh, in the world of social media, you checked your Twitter and you're here. But uh, the main thing I want to say, I don't care if I sound sentimental and cheesy, is I really missed y'all last week. Um, it, was, uh, it was sad. It was very strange, actually, for a Thursday night to go. But I felt like death. I had the flu. Hey, Annie. My kids are here. Um, and, to, uh, yeah, I didn't get out of bed for three days. So um, any, any sympathy uh, I will take. So um, it was awful. So I'm glad to be back. Um, what we're doing is uh, looking every week at the beautiful life that the Ten Commandments hold out for us. Uh, trying to remind you that God's commandments, they're actually different than we think. They aren't here to take away life. They're not here as a test to see if you can do it in some sort of staircase to make God like you. They actually are a picture of the beautiful life, of the life that God intended for us. Uh, I think if you see it, you would admit, man, that is beautiful. And before we read the fourth commandment, I just want you to kind of consider the campus of Mississippi State. Because a... um, a refrain that I hear often and, and that I assume that you probably hear in conversations is, you know, they answer the question of how are you doing. Usually at first, you know, it involves them doing well, but then it's this. I am tired and exhausted and worn out, but I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And have you not felt that in some ways being worn out is almost like a status symbol? Uh, kind of like the, um, it's almost trendy, like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing if you're just on the brink of, uh, of not getting enough sleep. I feel that, and I feel that way a lot. And the fourth commandment, I want to suggest, holds out this picture of beauty and says, that's actually not the way things are supposed to be. That the real God, the God who loves you, commands rest. And if your idea of life is that always being on the brink of being worn out and collapsing into rest is the good life, he's going to say, I think you've actually missed it. You've distorted who God is. There's this beauty of work and rest that he has, he has given us. So let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, um, even uh, after uh, snow days, after canceled classes... Um, Many of us are, are still tired. It's amazing how, um, how we can have nothing to do, and yet inwardly we, we feel worn out, we feel exhausted, we feel like we haven't done the things that are necessary to make you love us and like us. And I pray that you would kill that lie tonight. But Lord, the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus Christ and His finished work would be seen and would be tasted so that we actually rest tonight and rest in Jesus' work and realize that in Jesus you are well pleased with us. And some of us are dying, literally dying to hear that you are pleased with us. And so, Lord, whether we tonight are really struggling, whether, I hope there are, I hope there are people here that are addicted to various things. Um, and I pray tonight that they would experience the freedom uh, that is resting in Jesus Christ. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, here is God's word in Exodus 20, uh, starting in verse 1. 
And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Skipping to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Grass withers, flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Okay, three things we're going to look at. We're going to look at uh, how the fourth commandment shows us the gift of work. How it shows us the gift of rest, and then mainly how it points us to the gift of Jesus. First, the gift of work, verse 9. Typically, the way people think about this command is in regards to one day, the Sabbath, and that's appropriate. But it's important to note that if the Ten Commandments are going to show us the beautiful life, your life entails a whole lot more than just one day of the week, right? It entails Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I want you to see that the fourth commandment covers all of your time that it really does begin with an instruction to work and to do all your work in six days. Now, I, just, I want you to think about that. If the Ten Commandments are the beautiful life, the fulfilled life, life as, as we were meant to function, that means God commands us to work. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but I think for a lot of us, work feels and seems like a necessary evil. But this is saying, all right, God can only command that which is good. And this is saying that work is a good thing. It's not a necessary evil. And if you look at the Bible, you see that that's the case, that work is not a result of sin. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, when God makes the world before sin enters it, Adam and Eve are working. And they're working hard. And there's nothing that indicates that when Jesus comes back and makes this a new heavens and new earth, that somehow work ceases. I think it actually very much continues. But what you see is that work is not a product of sin, but toil and pain and frustration, fruitlessness, that stuff is a product of the fall of sin. But work itself is not. Work is actually central to who you are because it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God because God is a working God. And you reflect him by working. And so I I saw a study actually today where close to half of all nursing home residents are depressed. And look, I, I know that depression is complicated. I know it's multifaceted. I'm not trying to simplify it. But I would just suggest this. It's not crazy to think that lack of work is one of those factors. Nursing homes are just filled with people who wish they had some sort of work to do. And see, God is saying here, the beautiful life involves work because work is good. It's a gift. And see, keep thinking about the beautiful life. God commands us not to murder because life is beautiful and precious. We'll see that God commands us not to commit adultery because sex is beautiful and precious. And God commands us to work because work is a gift and it's beautiful and precious. And one application I would suggest of this command to work is this. I really want you to consider this. 
You're at RUF, so by definition, you're probably in college. We've got a couple of townies here, uh, like Tim Grider, who have graduated and still hanging around. But if you're a student, here's what I want to ask you. Would someone look at your life and conclude that, that being a student is beautiful to you? That your work as a student is a gift from God? Or would they conclude that you actually resent your work? I'm not saying you're, you're, you're commanded to enjoy all your classes or delight in your, all your professors equally or some kind of idealistic enjoying of all your homework or anything like that. The Bible isn't idealistic. It's realistic. But I'm saying that the fourth command is saying that being a student, it's not a necessary evil. It's not just the, the step that you kind of muck through now so that you can get to the real work that you're going to do one day. And my perception is that that's how most of you think. That's how I thought in college. That, that, that class and being a student is what gets in the way of what's really important and what college is all about, which is hanging out with people, pursuing a spouse, and getting to the weekend. Now, I'll just tell you, I, I look back at my college life, and this is one of the things I'll actually lament. I saw education as having little to do with God's calling on my life. I certainly didn't see it as a good thing. And that really hurt me. Because here, here's what my college life looked like. I made good grades. I went to Ole Miss and was a business, I was a business major at Ole Miss. Here's what that means. It required, it was easy. Okay, that's why I majored in it, all right? Um, but here, look. I made good grades. Here's how I made good grades. I functioned off short-term memory. I would not work for three weeks because the real life was right hanging out with people and doing whatever else. And then I would basically binge study one night, store as much information as possible so that I could spit out the information, pass a test, make a good grade. But if I took that same test two days later, I would fail it. And some of you are laughing because that sounds really familiar to you. Which means, this is what I want you to see, I saw being a student as not worth my time, as not good. And so I, it was just minimal effort in work so that I could maximize effort and pleasure in social life and recreation. I just want you to see that is violating the fourth commandment and seeing what God calls good as something that's getting in the way. And so, do you see work as God sees it? And I think what you'll find is many times, we're about to talk about the rest that God commands. Many times, we don't rest because we don't actually work for six days. And therefore, we find ourselves so busy on the Sabbath. And God says work is a good thing. It's a gift. You should enjoy it. Which... The other side is true as well. You can, you can be really disciplined and work really hard, but if you resent it, it shows that you don't see it as a gift. It's a slave master. And so first, the beautiful life involves actually seeing work as a gift from the Lord's hand, something done before Him. But secondly, is the gift of rest. Look at verse 10 and 11. Try to feel the goodness of this command. Like, think about the context. 
The first hearers of this commandment were Israelites, right? And God begins the Ten Commandments with this prologue saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Think about the first people that heard this commandment. Their life had been characterized by slavery to brutal taskmasters in Egypt. So their life was characterized as never having a day of rest, always being weary, constant labor, never finishing every day looking the same. And God looks at them and says, I command you to rest one day a week. Can you imagine how sweet that sounded to their ears? Wait, you mean we have to rest? Like I can't do any work? Yes. You would think they would never forget that. But they did. And so the fourth commandment really is saying, celebrate that you are God's people by resting. Because the definition of a Christian is that you're not a slave anymore. You're free. (coughs) That God really has delivered you. And so God says the fourth commandment, here's how rest is going to look. One day should be kept holy. And holy just means set apart. It needs to be different. And that, that day is called the Sabbath, which is just the English pronunciation for the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means rest. That's all Sabbath means. And so the Lord is saying this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you every week to have a day that, it, that feels different, that looks different, that is different, because it's characterized by rest. And by rest... I mean, you cease doing the other stuff that you do six days a week that ensures that you keep getting ahead in life. He says, stop doing that stuff and experience rest. Let it be a different day. Why? So that you can remember you are not a slave. Realize the goodness of this commandment. Don says... One day in seven, rest so that you'll know you're not a slave. You're free. Now, I want you to think about this. I think this is fascinating. If the Ten Commandments really are the beautiful life, they're from God, it means that God knows how you actually work. And what God is saying is this. You are going to be tempted every day to go back to slavery. And how slavery is going to look is is beginning to try to find your identity, find yourself, trying to become a somebody in all the ordinary stuff that you do Monday through Saturday. Those are the things that are going to tempt you back into slavery. And the Lord says, I know that about you. So I'm going to put one day in there that forces you to declare freedom from anything that dares to enslave you throughout the week. Anything. And so he says, I'm going to make you stop. I'm going to make you stop doing those things. And so what does that look like? What are those things? Well, here's what you realize. It's all the ordinary work that we're called to do. And those things aren't bad. Those things are really good. But the temptations of our heart is to, try to, is to try to find our identity in the things that you do throughout the week. 
It's the definition of idolatry. And he says, I'm going to put something in your weekly schedule that forces those to stop. And so, I don't know. Dare to look at your schedule. Usually what makes up our schedule, the stuff that we do, is just a thousand decisions of where we put our time to ensure that we feel like a somebody. That's kind of what dictates our time. I'm going to make a thousand decisions about where I'm going to put my time so that I can feel like I'm a somebody, not a nobody. And my time will go around these things that make me feel like my life is stable, make me feel like I'm secure and that I'm okay. And so a lot of time goes to building your academic resume. And you've already heard me say that's a good thing. You study, you make good grades, you do homework, and that's a good thing. But the Lord knows that underneath that, there's this subtle temptation to start feeling that what really makes me secure, what really gives me the, the future that I want, what really makes me somebody is if I keep up enough good grades. And the Lord says, you stop from that. One day in seven. So that you can know you're not a slave to that. What else? I mean, a lot of times it goes to building and maintaining relationships, and it should, and relationships take a lot of time. But underneath there becomes this subtle temptation that what makes me somebody, what's really going to ensure the full life and is going to make me okay is if I'm connected to the right people and have the right people like me. And God says, one day in step seven, you need to stop. You need to stop the game of trying to keep up the good image with everybody to try to keep pushing you forward in life. And you need to stop. And you could, you could walk through a bunch of things and, and, and just realize there's always a subtle temptation to start knowing that you're a somebody because you do these things. And you spend enough time in them. And God loves you enough to say, put those things down. Because they will enslave you if you worship them. And so the fourth commandment says, stop. Stop doing those things for a day. So that you can know, if you're a Christian, your identity, your future, your stability is not wrapped up in how much you get done and how many people you get to like you, <coughs> and how many activities you're involved in or how successful you are, the Lord is saying, I'm going to build into your schedule a rhythm of work and rest so that you're forced to recognize your fundamental identity is in who God is and what He thinks of you and what He's done for you and how much He loves you. It really is a gift. I use this illustration at least once a year because it's just so clear. But Sidney Pollack, who was a famous movie producer, director, did things like Cold Mountain. He, uh, he died in 2007, but like the year before he died, this article came out about him where his health was starting to fade and his, <coughs> his family was asking him to kind of cut back on work and come home and, and be with the family. And he never did. He literally worked unto his death. But in this, in this article, he has this, I think, beautifully honest admission. And here's what it says. It says, Pollock says that although the grueling filmmaking process is wearing him down, he can't justify his existence if he stops. He explained, every time I finish a picture, I feel I've earned my stay for another year or so. 
Think about the brutal honesty there. He cannot stop producing movies because it's central to what makes him feel like a somebody. And it's just a treadmill that never stops. And the Lord says, you need to stop that because this is going to kill you. And I hope you start feeling this command. I hope you're starting to realize that the fourth commandment, just like the rest of them, it isn't this just primary list of do's and don'ts on a certain day to kind of ruin your day. If that's what you focus on, you've missed it. This commandment reveals our heart. Because the fourth commandment is going to say this. Whatever you cannot rest from, whatever you can't take a break from, that's your real God. That's your real master. That's the thing you're looking at and saying, this is what makes me somebody. That's what you're really living for. So I think this is so key. Remember at the beginning, I suggest our constant refrain is that we're tired, that we're exhausted, that I can hardly find any time to rest. And I do, I say this gently but clearly. (coughs) The fourth commandment means that Our inability to rest, it's not because you're too busy. It's not because you have too much going on. It's actually because you're empty and you're insecure. It's because you're too insecure to say no to things. Because these things that I'm doing are my real gods. They make me feel like I'm okay. This is just a tired campus. It just is. This is a tired RUF. And I think the fourth commandment exposes us all and says the reason you're so tired is because you're working so hard at finding your identity in things besides Jesus. And it's exhausting. And so you can't stop those things. You You can't ever declare freedom from those things. And they keep just telling you to work harder. And the truth of the matter is that the fourth commandment, it's terrifying, I think, to most of us. Because we're so messed up. I am. I think many of us don't stop because quiet scares us to death. Because it forces us to think about who we are and what our lives are like. And that's just scary. And busyness is the easiest way to avoid it. To avoid the emptiness that's within. And Jesus says, what about stopping was actually a good thing? Jesus is saying the fourth commandment is a gift to remind you that you aren't a slave anymore. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a declaration of freedom. Of freedom. He gives you a Sabbath so that one day every week you can stop studying and experiencing who you are is not the summation of your grades. Your future is not dictated by how you do in school. Who you are is you're one who's loved by Jesus. And your future is in His hands. And you can trust Him. And there's real freedom in that. God's saying, I give you the Sabbath so that one day you you can actually stop exercising. And experience that who you are is not dictated by the shape and the look of your body. Or how satisfied you are when you look at yourself in the mirror. Or how many glances you get from somebody. The Sabbath is a gift from the Lord that declares freedom from that slavery. And says, you, who you are is one who is loved by Jesus and beautiful in His sight. And that's all that matters. And God is saying, I give you the Sabbath so that one day we can stop the massive social game that we all play. Trying to I, I, always keep my image enough. 
so that, so that the right people always like me. And most of us are exhausted on Sunday mornings, not because we're too busy, but because we refuse to say no to the idolatry on, of missing out on some kind of event with people. And so we maximize it to the last moment, and so we're exhausted on Sunday. And the Lord is saying, I declare freedom from that, from thinking who you are, that what's going to make you someone is how much fun you've been this week and how fun people think that you are. It's in who the Lord is. And so we've seen, I, I hope that, that there's a gift of work in here, but we've also seen that our, what our sinful hearts do with work is we try to find our identity in it. And so it gives us this Sabbath rest command that declares freedom from that. And we just see that, honestly, we all make a mess of this command because our real object what we're really going for in life is usually not worship of Jesus. It's just worship of myself and my resume that I'm building. So I can't put it down. So what does it look like? What does it look like to start receiving and living in the beauty of the fourth commandment? Because I hope you've realized that, that work and rest is not just simply a matter of discipline and scheduling. I, of course it involves some of that. But our failure to live in the joy of this command, it's a matter of our hearts. At the end of the day, we just don't really trust that Jesus will provide what we really need. That Jesus will not provide what a career, popularity, resume, or looks really will. We just don't think He will. At the heart of, heart of our breaking this command is unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus' love for us and unbelief in Jesus' care for us. So I'm not telling you just to get a better day plan. I want you to see the problem is much deeper. But the solution is much better than what you think. Because the Sabbath is calling us to live in the reality that Jesus really is enough. That His work really is enough. This is when the fourth commandment becomes really good news. I, look, I don't claim to be an expert on other religions. I don't even claim to be an expert on Christianity. I, if you follow me around today, you realize I don't know what I'm doing most of the day. I really, I don't do Christianity very well. But I, I think I figured this out, that, that there's a similarity between, uh, among all other religions besides Christianity. And it says that God is holy and you're not. And so the way to be saved, the way to be right with God, is you have to work. So exhaustion kind of becomes a status symbol. You're not right, so Islam says you need to get to work completing the pillars of Islam. You're not good enough, so Buddhism says you need to get to work on the, on the eightfold path. America says you're not good enough, but all religions are the same, but you need to like make a name for yourself and be a somebody. And the nagging question is always, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I measured up? And Christianity is distinctly different. Did you hear Mary Michael before the prayer? Christianity equates salvation not with work, but with rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His burden is light. Jesus does not say, come to me and I'll show you the things that you got to do. He says, I am rest. And so many of you in this room are tired 
because you say you're saved by Jesus, but in reality, you've distorted Christianity to another religion where you're saved by your own efforts. And you're constantly working, you're working so hard to try to make yourself presentable to God and to other people. And we're exhausted. We've made the Ten Commandments to another form of work. And if I just do this good enough, maybe God will like me and be satisfied with me. And you've missed it. How can salvation be characterized by rest? How can this commandment both expose how far I fall short but be incredibly good news? It's because of Jesus. This is the reason the Apostle Paul in Romans says to the one who does not work, but trust in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. It's because rest will finally come when you rest in Jesus' work for you and not your own. It's a work that's completely external from you. It's something that you have not done at all. And it's a finished work. On the cross, Jesus cries out before his death, it is finished. What is finished? Everything, everything that has to be done to make you perfectly righteous and pleasing before God. Everything, Jesus did it. He has obeyed perfectly for you. He has paid the penalty for all of your sins. And the hope and rest of the Christian life is in nothing done by you. It is done by Jesus for you. And when you see that, you finally rest. The game is over. The posturing is over. I can start saying no to things because Jesus has finished the work of salvation. That's why the Sabbath is now a Sunday because we begin our week with rest, with a reminder that the work is finished in Jesus Christ. And now I just live out the rest of my week not trying to prove myself to God or prove myself to other people, not trying to improve my spot in God's family, because there's nothing else I can do to make God like me any more than He does. He's pleased with me. And so now my week is a week of thankfulness and enjoyment of His finished work. So I'll just finish with this. I read an article um, actually recently about this woman in Australia named Katie Ogg. This is crazy. And she was pregnant. She's pregnant with twins, a boy and a girl. And it was tragic from the beginning. She, as many times happens, if you have twins, she went into labor prematurely at 27 weeks. So doctors did not know the state of the babies and, and what would happen. And The first one out was Jamie, and his body came out pretty much lifeless. And so a few doctors took Jamie to the side and started trying to do CPR. Two minutes later, the girl comes out, and she comes out actually healthy and alive. And so finally, the doctors keep working on the boy, on Jamie, and after 20 minutes of trying, they finally pronounce him dead. And the mom obviously goes into just deep grief. And she asks to hold Jamie just so that she can grieve. So they hand the lifeless body of Jamie back to her. And she holds this lifeless, dead baby near her, sobbing and grieving. So after, five, after about five minutes, they said the baby began to move. You can really look this up. And the doctors kind of dismissed it as just kind of reflexes. But she kept holding him in close. 
And then he started breathing. And after two hours, they called it the kangaroo effect. Somehow Jamie was revived. And the once lifeless baby was breathing and doing fine. Because he was so close to her. And he was being warmed by her body. What I want to end with is ask you this. What if the Sabbath was not a day to restrict fun? It was actually supposed to be the day that you look forward to every time. What about if it really was a feast, a celebration? Because Jesus knows that throughout your week you get beaten down by more and more demands, more and more things that demand your bidding, make you feel like a failure. What if the, the Sabbath was a day where Jesus pulls you close to his chest and says, Stop. Stop. I want you to rest. I want you to be reminded that who you are is wrapped up in what I've done for you. And I've finished the work. There's nothing else you have to do to make me love you. I can't love you any more than I do right now. As he pulls you to his chest, and you experience that in a practical way, it actually revives you. It reminds you of what's real. And you realize you really are free from this thing. Wouldn't that change the way you looked at the Sabbath? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we, um, man, we first admit that, that we, um, we try to make Christianity into something that it's not. We try to pile on burdens. We try to, try to make the measure of whether you like us or approve us based on the things that we've done or haven't done. Lord, there's those of us in this room who are deeply ashamed of things that we've done. There's things that we are so deep in, we think that we'll never get out. Uh, There are uh, addicts of of pleasure and sex and drugs. I I hope there are addicts of all form in this room. And I hope that people tonight realize that you love them. You love them not according to whether they can get out of this or whether they can... They can fix themselves. But you love them because of the great things that Jesus has done for them. And I pray that they would receive Jesus' work. And we would realize that you are enough. Would you enable us to rest in your joy tonight? In your son's name I pray. Amen.